0: Pastor Tim will explain in a moment, but the scripture reading has changed for this morning. For today, we're just going to switch to Ephesians. Ephesians 6 can be found on page 830 in your pew Bibles. Often I'll stand here and I'll explain why. The Bibles that we have in the pews are NIV 84 and why I'm reading from NIV 84. Today I'll be reading from NIV 2011, which is probably on your phones. So when you, if you're looking at the pew Bible, you understand why it's different. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Chapter 6, verse 10. which is the word of God and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's of the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am the ambassador, which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. May God bless the reading of his word.
1: Some of you are wondering why I've switched the topic of our Ecclesiastes series to now preach on Ephesians chapter six in the middle of a series. Actually, as we're concluding the series. And let me share a little bit about why I've done what I've done in switching the, the topic for today. Sometimes there are things that happen in our society that bring a lot of questions into our mind. And I think that the shooting that happened last week in Florida really caused a lot of us to think about our country, to think about our faith, to think about what we ought to be doing at a time like this. Now, I am very well aware that we come from differing political perspectives on issues like gun control and things like that. And I'm not going to be touching on that today. Instead, what I'd like to do is not focus on differences that divide us at a time like this, but Christian principles that actually should unite us when we face the evil that there is in society. So today I've chosen a text from Ephesians 6, verses 10 and following that I think will form the first few points of my sermon, and then we're going to look at some other passages. But I'd like to deal with the subject today of how does a Christian live and respond in a violent world? How do we as Christians live in this world? It's full of violence, that's full of school shootings, that's full of things that challenge us to learn how it is that we can express our Christian faith. So the first thing I want us to take a close look at is in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. My point is really this, that the reality of evil is a call to spiritual mindedness. We cannot get away from the fact that in this world today, there is evil. And Paul talks about this. He says, put on the full armor of God in verse 11 so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. This is the evil day that we are living in. And Paul mentions that uh, in verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Valentine's Day was supposed to be a day of love. Instead, it was an evil day that we will remember for generations to come because of what happened in Florida. The evil day comes upon us when we're not ready for it. And Paul says in this passage that the reality of evil is something we have to live with as Christians. And we have to realize in the midst of what's happening in our country, in the midst of what we have to face, that we as Christians have to face that reality is evil, but we have to face it in a way that's spiritually minded. And this passage is one of the best passages in the whole of scripture to challenge us to be spiritually minded. Now, where is our battle in this passage? In verses 10 through 13, we see that our battle is not against human beings. He says our struggle is not against flesh. And blood, it's not against people, it's not against evil people, it's not against criminals, it's not against shooters, but instead it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of e- evil and the heavenly realms. And so what we have in this passage is a different way of looking at reality. In this world, we are tempted to look at what we see and say, that's all there is. But when we come to the Bible, we realize, no, what you see is not all that there is. There is an invisible realm. There is a realm that is inhabited with evil beings, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And we don't see it, but nevertheless, we see the effects of it when things happen like what happened last week. And we have to be thinking spiritually minded. And as I said, our battle is not against um Flesh and blood. Instead, it's against these spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. As we realize this, we realize that we're dealing with a problem that's greater than just our sin. We're tempted to think that the big problem in people is sin and that's all that there is. But actually, sin is going hand in hand with what Paul says are these unseen spiritual forces. And there's an excellent verse that shows us this if you'll turn in your bibles to 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verses 24 through 26. I want you to see the complexity of the problem. 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verses 24 through 26. Paul says and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach Not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So here we have a sinful person who's being corrected by the bondservant of the Lord. But in the process, there's two problems. Number one, The man is unrepentant in his sin and so only God can bring him to repentance. But notice verse 26 that that same person who's walking in unrepentance is said to be a person who's in the trap and the snare of the devil who has been taken captive by the devil to do his will. So don't you see from the perspective of the Scripture and spiritual mindedness, the problem is not just that there's something wrong inside people. The problem is is that the is that these spiritual forces of weak, of wickedness are exacerbating the problem. Indeed, they're controlling the people who have not yet repented of their sin. And that's the reality that the Bible presents. That we have the problem of sin, we have the problem of evil, and that problem is a spiritual reality. One of the reasons why I mention this is, is because... I've noticed that there's a tendency sometimes to view a human being as being our enemy, a human being to be our problem. Even in marriages, sometimes you're tempted to view your spouse as being your problem or your enemy. I've done so much marriage counseling in in my ministry to see that the moment that you start thinking that your brother or your sister or your spouse is your enemy, you've fallen out of the spiritual mindedness that Paul brings to us through that passage in Ephesians chapter 6. Your brother, who disagrees with you, is not your enemy. Your spouse, who has a different way of doing things, is not your enemy. No, our enemy is unseen. And you must keep this in mind. Think about it from the standpoint of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus tells us we have enemies when He says, love your enemies. But notice, when Jesus says, love your enemies, then you're not treating the other person as if they are your enemy. You're treating them with love. They regard you as your enemies. They regard you as an enemy, which is why Jesus says love your enemies so that you will not have that person in your mind as being your enemy. But instead, you will have that person in your mind as someone to love even though they regard you. As their enemy. Now, when you take that perspective and then apply that to our modern world today, you see that that should change the way that we have arguments on Facebook. That should change the way we even think about how to regard shooters in society. The gospel calls us to love the people who consider us as their enemies. And in so doing, we reflect the love that God has for the world. Brothers and sisters, we come into this world as God's enemies. And yet God, in His amazing love, does not treat us as if we are His enemies. Instead, He brings us to repentance that He might restore in Christ the relationship that was lost. Then Jesus calls us His friends. We are His friends because we have received His salvation. And that is amazing grace at work. As we come back to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, I want you to see a second uh, principle. The first principle is is that we as as Christians need to face the reality of evil with spiritual mindedness. But the second principle that comes from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, is that we as Christians need to be strong in the Lord and to put on the full armor of God. All the aspects of the full armor of God that are listed in this passage are aspects of the truth that God has brought to us that help us when we're wrestling with how do we respond to evil in the world. And so we are told to put on the entire full armor of God that we might be able to stand in the evil day. I'm not going to have time to get into all the aspects of the full armor of God. I just want you to see, though, that there's quite a bit that we're supposed to put on everything from righteousness to the readiness that comes from the Gospel, to faith, to the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There's going to be disagreements about how we as Christian citizens should respond to issues like curbing the violence in our society. But what needs to inform our decisions Give us strength in our hearts is the sort of the spirit, which is the word of God that teaches us. Then how do we respond in all aspects of our lives, including as in society? Now, notice something at the end of this passage, verse 18, I find it very interesting. Paul says and pray in this Holy Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And then Paul says, pray for me. All kinds of prayers at all times, on all occasions, requests, petitions, praises, and then even praying for God's servants. And at that time, the Apostle Paul, who was an ambassador and changed Chains. He was in prison when he wrote Ephesians and he's saying, pray for him. Not that he would get out of prison, but instead that he would be a bold ambassador of the Gospel of Jesus Christ while he was in prison. So what we see is our third principle is that we need to keep praying at all times. Now, if you've been watching the news as I have and seeing the snarky things that people have been putting on their Facebook, you'll see that there's been a lot of... um, Disgust and disdain against the people who have sent prayers down to Florida in light of what has happened. Especially if the people who've been sending prayers are our legislators, who many people think then and said need to be doing more than just praying. They need to be doing something, whatever that something is, to deal with the violence that we have in our society today. And so what's been happening is, is people have been poo-pooing prayer. They've been trashing it as a strategy. And now, admittedly, as a strategy... That stands alone, it's not enough. But as a strategy from the standpoint of being a Christian, it is effective and it's something that we should do and we should continually do and we shouldn't be embarrassed to say that we're doing even now at such a time as this. Why? Because Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood and that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not human. They are powerful for the destruction of spiritual fortresses. And so when we pray, we touch the unseen world. And brothers and sisters, we have no idea what terror has been stayed by the hands of Almighty God as a result of our prayers. So rather than stop praying at a time like this, saying that prayer isn't effective, we need to start praying even more seriously and even more completely than we have been praying before. Unashamedly so. So our third principle is, is that we need to be Praying at all times at such a time as this. Let's look at another principle from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Romans um, chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes to the Romans and to the Christians in Rome and he says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. In this passage, we learn something about government and the place of government and what government is supposed to do. Now, what government is supposed to do is use force to restrain evil doing. It is the government's responsibility to do that, Paul says. The government is a minister of wrath. They hold the power of the sword, which at the time was the power of capital punishment and the power of death. And this is why God has given us Government. To restrain evil because evil needs to be restrained. So at a time like this, what we have to do is we have to figure out in our minds, in what way is our government failing in that that task? And then do everything that God moves us to do as Christians to help push our legislators to do what it is that the government is supposed to do. Restrain evil by the force that God has given them to do so. Now, I will say a little bit at this point about the situation that they're in, because there's something that I don't quite understand. And after this message, if some of you want to explain it to me to help me understand it, I would very much appreciate. But I think many of you are struggling with the same thing. On the one hand, in our country today, because of the Second Amendment, adults have the right to bear arms. You have the right to buy a gun as long as you don't fall into certain categories of, um, of people that are not allowed to buy guns. Okay, so we're allowed to have guns to protect our homes. But yet at the same time there are places like schools that are supposedly gun free zones, and yet those students in those situations are then not protected because there's not armed guards, shall we say, at school there to protect them protect them. There's something that's wrong about this. And in the middle of the discussion that people are having about violence and what should be done about it in the Second Amendment. I just want to point out that there seems to me to be something that's wrong that I don't understand. Why it is that supposedly we can have guns in our houses to defend us, but then we send our children off to schools to be defenseless at the hands of shooters that don't respect the no gun zone around different schools. There's something wrong here, brothers and sisters, and we need um, to address that as citizens and to remind the government of what their responsibility is. What's the point? And here's the principle Um, there's a principle that I think we need to wrestle with. And that uh, principle is, is that we as parents have a responsibility to protect our children and to know that our children as much as possible are in a safe environment. Things could happen at any time and in any place. But if you know that your child is going into uh, an unsafe environment, then you need to realize that you as a parent, have a primary responsibility to protect your children. And I want to show you that from Nehemiah 4 quickly. If you'll turn to Nehemiah in the Old Testament, chapter 4. This is a great passage for helping us understand how to balance our responsibilities, even as parents. You're familiar, I'm sure, with the, the book of Nehemiah and what's going on. Nehemiah is trying to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. He has a strategy. He mobilizes the people to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And in the middle of him doing that, we find that there are all these people that are criticizing him, indeed going against him as he's trying to help the people of Jerusalem rebuild their wall. And so there's this man, Sanballat the Horonite. Don't ever name your kid Sanballat. I know we like biblical names, but that's not a name you want to name your child because when Sanballat heard that Nehemiah and the rest of the people were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? And then there's this other guy. Don't name your son Tobiah. Tobiah, the Ammonite who was at his side, said what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. Wow, that's really um, encouraging. Then we have Nehemiah's prayer, verse 4. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders, the builders of the wall of God. Verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah... The Arabs and Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Don't you see how in verse 9, prayer is going hand in hand with a strategy. And the strategy was to post a guard day and night to meet the threat. This is very interesting. Verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Here we have an active threat against the people of God. Verse 12, then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. So here we have weapons that are being used to protect the people of God and their families. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. Do you see how in this passage there is a responsibility of the people of God to defend and protect their homes and their families? When we lived in Taiwan and our kids went to a Christian school, there was one occasion where one of the kids that was going to the Christian school was a kid that I was afraid of and our our kids had let us know he was saying things that put them in fear as well. So we went and we talked uh, to the principal, we talked to the kid's um, teacher, we talked to the parents and we realized something, that the school was not going to do what they should and deal with this student who I felt like was a threat to our kids. So you know what I did? I pulled one of our kids out of school because of it, because of this kid. And that was my responsibility as a parent to act when the authorities above us were not acting um, uh, properly. My point is simply this, as parents, you must reckon with the fact that God has given you your kid and it's your responsibility to protect your kids. And we've seen last week the trauma, the horror, the pain in the parent's. Of those who lost their kids, thinking that they in some way did not fulfill their responsibilities to keep their kids safe. Brothers and sisters, I don't know how we're going to solve the problem of violence in America, but I do know this. If you as a parent feel like your kid is in any kind of an unsafe situation, don't be afraid to take action and do what's responsible. And that is my point. But my last point moves us from the pictures of how Uh, Old Testament saints dealt with the problem of evil and violence as it was coming upon them in their time and even the role of government and what they should do to now bring us where we need to be focused at a time like this. Where is the place where evil can be dealt with ultimately, completely, and comprehensively? Brothers and sisters, there's only one place where we can go, and that is to the cross of Jesus Christ because when Christ died on the cross he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 10 he took away the record of wrongs against us that was that was being asserted before a holy god so that we then through what Christ has done in His sacrifice, can stand before God at peace. We can have peace in our own hearts. We can have peace between different races that now are brought together in the church because of the body of Christ. And we then preach peace into our societies and into the lives of other people because until their hearts are changed by the Gospel of Jesus Christ, there can be no ultimate dealing of the problem of evil. Brothers and sisters, all of us have evil in our hearts. And some of you wonder, why hasn't God done more? Why weren't prayers answered? Why have more school shootings happened? It's, it's a larger question. That larger question is, why does God, who is loving, who is in control, allow evil in the world at all? And the answer to that, given in Second Peter, the answer to that is because God is patient with us. Not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance and knowledge of the truth. So we should see this time This time that we have right now where God in some way restrains evil, but in other ways allows it to flourish to be a time where the Gospel can be preached, people can be brought to repentance, evil can be dealt with in our own lives and in our hearts from the inside out. Think of the Apostle Paul and what happened to him. He's called Saul. In the book of Acts, breathing mur- threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, wanting to bring the Christians bound in chains back to Jerusalem. And in the midst of His terrorist activities, the risen Christ struck him, appeared to him, saved him, called him, and by His grace, the grace of our risen Lord Jesus Christ, turned Saul the persecutor into Paul the apostle who wrote the first text of scripture that we read today. Brothers and sisters, that is the power of the gospel to deal with evil. Paul turned from being a murderer of Christians into an apostle to instruct us how we should live as Christians. And that is the message that God challenges all of us to bring to the world that we're in today. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The powerful love of a Savior who alone can change people's hearts. So we want to bring a comprehensive answer to the problem of evil when we bring the Gospel to those who at this point don't have it, don't understand it. Where are you today in your response to the evil in the world? Are you struggling? I challenge you, go no farther than Jesus to find the grace and the strength and the answers that you need in order to solve the problems around us. In the life that we live in today, we will not perfectly solve this problem of evil. Not outside of the church, not inside of the church, but what we will do when we claim Jesus Christ, when we call upon His name, we will see the power of the Gospel at work to transform lives, to transform societies, to transform our communities, to transform us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the power of the Gospel. We thank You for what You've done in our hearts. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you even for what you're doing in our communities. We ask that you would make us prayerful people. We ask that you would make us responsible parents. We ask that you would make us responsible citizens. Give us wisdom to implore our legislators to do what is the most appropriate action that needs to be done so that students won't become sitting ducks for shooters that don't know Jesus as their savior. Lord, if people knew You as their Savior, they would want to love the kids in school and love the people in society, not kill them. So Lord, we see that the evil that there is in society is actually a failure on our part to preach the Gospel at every time, in every place, to every person, and also, Lord, to pray. Lord, we've not been the prayerful people we should have been. We've not been watchful as we should have been. And we've been closed mouthed with the Gospel at crucial times when You've given us opportunity. So Lord, we ask that You would use us. Use us to dispel violence in spiritual ways that put love as the answer and the strategy and put prayer as the best resort and put the spiritual armor of God on top of everything that we're wearing for the day so that we might be able to stand. We won't be overwhelmed by evil. That we instead, as Your children, will overcome evil with good. Give us the grace to do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.